I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. It's our task to extract those gems that get buried under the dust of time. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench. This is episode number 52 as we launch into the fifth season of this podcast. If you don't recognize my voice, it's because I'm new this season. My name is Kathy Buckworth, and today I have the pleasure of sharing the bench with my co-host, Evelyn Brindle, who lives at the village of Aaron Meadows in Mississauga, just one of the long-term care Schlegel Village retirement residences, along with her husband, David. Today, Evelyn and I are welcoming our special guest, Don Hewson, also a resident of the same village. But before Evelyn and Don join me, I'd like to remind you what this podcast is all about. It's the brainchild of the Schlegel family. It's long been founder Ron Schlegel's belief that the greatest untapped resource in Canada, if not the world, is the collective wisdom of our elders. And today, we have some great wisdom to be shared from Don Hewson as he tells us about his interesting life as an intellectual property lawyer and shares some advice for younger generations on the importance of an education, as well as his love of classical music and author Louise Penny. I'm Kathy Buckworth, one of your co-hosts for the Elder Wisdom Podcast, or Stories from the Green Bench, as we like to call it. Our other host is Evelyn Brindle. Hello, Evelyn. It's so nice to speak with you again. Hi, Kathy. Yes, it's nice to be together, and I think we'll have a very interesting uh, podcast today. I think so. This is officially episode number 52 of the podcast, besides our transition episode with Aaron Davis and Doug Robinson the last time. And it's the first one that you and I have the privilege of handling. How do you feel about that today, Evelyn? I'm a little nervous. It's the first time I'm doing anything like this, but uh, I know Don will put us all at ease as well as you. So I'm looking forward to a very good conversation this morning. Me too. And I, and I understand, Evelyn, that you're at the village of Aaron Meadows in Mississauga, the Schlegel village there. So you're at the same village as our special guest today, who is Don Hewson. Yes, definitely. He's sitting right across the table from me. So we'll uh, have a nice conversation this morning. Don's been had a very interesting life, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy hearing about him. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll get to Don right now. He's going to tell us some great stories about his life, but as a little bit of setup, I'd like to mention that Don's background is in engineering until he decided that his true calling was in intellectual property law, which he practiced for 40 years. He's going to let us know how those two disciplines came together to give him a most interesting career. Good morning, Don. Good morning. You're so lucky to be sitting across from Evelyn. I'm across town. I'm in Mississauga also, but not quite with you guys. Oh, really? Good. So, Don, you worked in uh, technical international property law. So tell us a little bit about that and, and why you needed engineering to do that. Well, intellectual property law comprises uh, four main fields, patents, trademarks, industrial design, and copyright. Uh, my particular interests were patents. And in order to understand and work in, in patent law, the, the, that's a very technical area. Uh, and you really need an engineering background or a science background 
in order to understand what's going on and in order to understand and be able to talk to any inventor who comes to you with a new invention uh, or a challenge against somebody else's patent, this sort of thing. You have to be able to understand the technology, very wide range of technologies, I must say, in my case. but you have to be a quick learner and you have to really know how to read techni- technical uh, documentation uh, and understand it, get the gist of it on the first reading and be able to work it from there. As for the other fields, trademarks, copyright, industrial design, they're more, uh, what do I want to say, subjective. Um, a judge one time said in a, in a copyright case that the particular, uh, rather in a trademark case, the, that the particular trademark at issue was similar to another, so similar to another trademark that it confused the judge, but not similar <laughs> enough to the other, uh, to ordinary people that it did not confuse them. So <laughs> it became a bit of a problem. Uh, the judge found, uh, finally, uh, in favor of the trademark that was at issue. Anyway, back to technology, which probably comprised 90% or so, 85-90% of my business. Um, we had to cover a very broad spectrum of technologies. The only, the only uh, real area that I did not get into is pharmaco- pharmacology, uh, pharmaceuticals, and so on. That, sort of beyond me, I'm not a, an organic chemist. I'm an electrical <laughs> engineer, but I, I had a fairly good background, of course, in ordinary engineering as well. As far as the science, people with science backgrounds, particularly mathematics and physics, uh, they, they should be okay too uh, in, in the regular patent field. Uh, sorry, I'm concentrating more on patents because as I say, that was probably 85, 90% of my practice. Well, the only uh, great idea I had for a patent ever, Don, is a reversible hockey sweater, home and away. So I don't think <laughs> that would have flown. What about you, Evelyn? Any great ideas over there? Oh, not about patents, but I am interested in hearing about uh, whether what was the most important or interesting patent or invention that you dealt with. Oh, several interesting fields. Uh, <laughs> As an aside, one of the interesting patents that I did was the uh, for the chocolate coating that is found on Chapman's ice cream. Oh, uh, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, one of my clients was a food chemist, and uh, I did a lot of work for him. Um, I did a lot of work with Duracell in, in battery technology. Um, I did a lot of work in radar technology, radar detection in particular, and I I did quite a bit of work in concrete forming. Probably one of the most interesting patents that I wrote was to the the device that really revolutionized the fast and efficient forming of huge concrete, poured concrete buildings, uh, hotels, apartment buildings, condominiums, and so on. They used uh, 
very old-fashioned ways of doing those things until somebody here in Toronto came up with the idea of using flying forms that were made of aluminum so that they were light. You could uh, fly them up with a, uh, a crane, uh, put them in place, get them uh, established in the right, right area, dump concrete on them, pull them out in the next day or so, and put them up again. And you'd, you'd really leapfrog a couple of sets of them. But what would normally have taken maybe 18 or 24 months to build a, a, a fairly good-sized building could be done in probably less than 12. Great. Interesting. So interesting. Yeah. And I understand that you tra- traveled quite a bit, Don. Is that right? Yes. I. <laughs> for two reasons. One, um, my wife and I like uh, doing cruises. We've done 50-odd mm. cruises. But we also, uh, I had to go to, well, I didn't have to, I should say, but uh, uh, as a senior partner in a law firm uh, specializing in intellectual property, they required uh, that uh, the senior partners go to one or two international conventions a year. So in, in doing so, I was able to get to all five of the major continents going to uh, international conferences, and uh, usually my wife Yumi and I would then look around for a cruise that might uh, be uh, coming into or out of uh, the conference area, and uh, book a cruise while we were at it, and take another week or two holiday, and uh, go and visit a few other countries while we were at it. So we've been to eighty-seven countries. Oh my goodness! But, but <laughs> world of patent law in particular, intellectual property law for that matter, is universal in that uh, if you want to establish some market presence in a particular country, say Japan, uh, Germany, whatever, you had to establish uh, a patent uh, or trademark protection issue in that country. And uh, that meant that we had to employ the services of attorneys in that in those countries who uh, were familiar with the law of that particular country, and in turn they would they would employ my services and, and those of many other Canadians to handle uh, issues in this country. the The only exception was that if I had a Canadian client who wanted to get protection in the United States, I was allowed to practice before the United States Patent and Trademark Office as well. Don, in doing some of the research on what intellectual property law was, found out that April 26th is going to be World IP Day, and that this year their theme is Women in IP and uh, celebrating the can-do attitude of women and vendors, creators. And I found that there are quite a few uh, women who really did produce some interesting or create some interesting products, like the windshield wiper and the dishwasher. And, of course, one that I was a little familiar with was Hetty Lamar, who uh, actually is considered to be the mother of the cell phone and really did a lot of, uh, besides uh, acting. Um, But the sad part is, is that I found that there's 
one in five who are women in most of the engineering schools and that uh, while the, today they're taking up 20% of the class area or uh, 40% of them never go into it or drop out. Um, have you any suggestions of how to improve this statistic and how to encourage women to stay in the field and produce some of the creativity that they are known for? Well, I think there are probably two uh, areas where they should uh, perhaps concentrate more. The, the first is uh, going backwards. Once uh, a, a woman, a female, graduates from engineering, uh, or science for that matter, but let's stick with engineering, she must be treated equally with any other engineer in that particular corporation or setup. Uh, and must not be discriminated against and must be encouraged to innovate, must be encouraged to work collegially with all of the other people that she's, she's with and start a project and finish it. Emphasize to all students that there's no field that they should not go into. Um, there, I think the precedent is that about 50% or more of students, undergraduate students in medicine are now women. Why not in engineering? The, what's the difference? They're, they're both science-oriented professions. Sure, they're a lot different, but you don't go into it unless you're a quick learner, uh, unless you can see the big picture of things uh, and be uh, interested in innovation at all times. Okay. You mentioned um, high school starting there, Don. I think that's a great point. I am looking at my notes, and you went to Port Credit High School. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And it's just down the road from me. And did you notice there, were, were there classes offered then in engineering or anything that you ended up going into in university? Oh, a couple of comments. The Port Credit High School that you're aware of is not the one I went okay. to. Okay. The one I went to is down in the, the town or the village of Port Credit. Ah. Uh, it burned down the year after I left uh, <laughs> high school, <laughs> and they moved it up to Mineola Road. Um, there were no subjects that particularly uh, uh, were directed towards engineering other than that those of us who would have been interested in the, in the first instance probably excelled in the mathematics and physics areas. It is a high school now that does attract actually students for their science program. I know some of my friends' kids have gone there. So it carries on. How's that your tradition? I didn't know that. It's yeah. the same as Cothra attracting people who are interested in the performing arts. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And besides all of your travel around the world, Don, I know you often go up the CN Tower and you have, I think, a story to tell us about that. Oh, <laughs> yes. I had I had a client, uh, a Swede, in fact, uh, who's uh, who was the consulting engineer on the uh, CN Tower when it was being built. His particular specialty was slip forming and uh, heavy lifting. The slip forming is slipping or moving a form up uh, vertically uh, for a vertical or almost vertical um, surface, but 
if you recall looking at the CN Tower, it slopes, they, the sides slope inwards as it goes up. So they had not only to slip sideways, but upwards. And uh, he came up with some very good ideas on how to do that. And then these forms were very, very heavy, and, they, and he was a specialist in heavy lifting. Whenever he came to Canada, my wife and I took him to dinner, and we, we never bothered to ask, where would you like to have dinner? It was always the CN Tower. So one day as we were going up in the elevator in the CN Tower, uh, he was pointing something out uh, through the window in the top of the elevator, and the elevator uh, attendant said, uh, you gentlemen seem to be very interested in the CN Tower. Is there anything I can tell you about it? My client turned and said to her very sweetly, no, thank you. I built it. That's <laughs> like the best story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and of course, one of your travels, you mentioned in passing that you went to Japan. I think something special happened there once, didn't it? <laughs> well, I met my wife there. Okay, that'll count. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I guess that was pretty special. Uh, yeah. Uh, my wife is Japanese and we go to Japan. Well, not so recently because of the pandemic, but we've been to Japan about 30 times or so. And uh, uh, I had a number of clients, Panasonic being one of my major clients over in Japan. So I had to go over there quite often in any event. And uh, it, it, of course, is the second largest economy in the world and uh, very innovative and uh, um, very interesting place to go in any event. I'll tell you another interesting story. The beginning, at the beginning of May, they have what they call Golden Week because the whole week is set up with about four holidays. So um, Golden Week it is. But... Um, my partner, or one of my partners, was over uh, many years ago during Golden Week, but he didn't know it was, was Golden Week. The firm that we were with uh, is a British firm, and its headquarters are in London. Anyway, uh, Richard had a, a day off, or many days off, and he was in Kyoto, so he thought it would be a good idea to take a little um, trip around Kyoto, one of these sightseeing trips. And he sat beside another gentleman, and they started talking, noting that each of them had a British accent. And uh, Richard said to his seatmate, uh, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm a patent attorney. And he asked, which firm are you with? And he mentioned the name of the firm. And Richard looked at him and said, oh, we must be partners. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a large firm. <laughs> uh, there were about 70 or 80 partners. Yeah. It spread around six or seven countries. So uh, wow. we only had three partners in Canada. Okay. Um, I have a grandson who will be uh, graduating this year at UBC and still considering different fields to go into, possibly law. Uh, is there anything that he's not interested in engineering, but uh, he does have a, a lot of interests in everything and almost a photographic memory kind of thing. So is there anything in the field of uh, intellectual property law that 
might be of interest in? Yes, there could be. A trademark uh, field um, could be quite interesting to them because um, there's no real requirement for a knowledge of technology. But uh, you have to have quick recall. Uh, having a photographic memory is not that so important as long as quick recall so that you can distinguish between uh, judgments, say, that one judge said on a particular issue and another judge said on a fairly similar issue but maybe went in a different direction. You have to be able to understand the differences. You also have to have a very good facility in the English language. Okay. Well, or French, but uh, okay. <laughs> in this country, but it's uh, it's very important because uh, you have to be able to either express exactly what it is that you want to say, or obfuscate what you want to say, depending on which way you want to go. <laughs> okay, great. I'll pass that on to him. Give him some ideas to look into. Thank you. Just- Besides uh, your brain being so full of this technical and legal information, Don, I understand you you have some very wide, diverse interests, which you are, we discovered early on in the podcast before we started recording, a music, classical music aficionado, correcting us on some of our research notes, as well as you enjoy reading legal fiction, and in particular, you like Louise Penny. So tell us how that all started. When did you get into classical music? Well, in high school uh, at Port Credit, we, we had an excellent music teacher, um, Marv Langton, and uh, he was a member of the Mendelssohn Choir, and he was an aficionado of the three Bs, Bach, Brahms, Beethoven. And he got me interested in music to such an extent that uh, another uh, classmate of mine, uh, who's now a doctor, and I, would go down even in grade 11, probably more grade 12 and 13, to Toronto Symphony Orchestra concerts quite often. So we we went down there and uh, um, would would listen to a lot of very interesting classical music. Uh, in fact, uh, Dr. Langton brought out uh, Sir Ernest McMillan as a speaker one time at, to our um, music class. Uh, I just got interested. Um, I I took a course in mu- music in grade uh, 13 um, as an extra course uh, just for the fun of it. Did very well in it, of course. The, the, the theory of music is uh, quite interesting. Um, I'm not so much a, a performer. I, I have trouble playing the piano and I can't play any of the other instruments because I'm a linear thinker. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, get my mind around pressing two keys to get a key to get one particular note and two other keys to get the next note to it. I, uh, on a piano, you you press one key, you get a note. Press the next key, and you get another note that's very close to it. Anyway, I wish I had that argument when my parents forced me to take piano lessons. <laughs> I'm a linear thinker, mom. I can't do that. <laughs> Sorry, Don. Carry on. <laughs> well, and anyway, then when I I got into uh, engineering and as an undergraduate, um, I learned that there was a radio station in Coburg that specialized in broadcasting classical music. In order to get it, 
uh, I had to go and buy, buy or build an FM radio tuner. So I did. I, bought, I, I built one. And uh, I listened to this station, which I think is probably the predecessor to the uh, 96.3 FM station now here in uh, Toronto. Um, so uh, as I was studying, I would listen to FM radio classical music. Uh, I, I just was not into uh, people squealing and, and shouting and a lot of thump, thump, thump in the background. So, uh, and I'm, I've never been able to get there. So all the way along, uh, I've been interested in it. Uh, I, uh, I had a brother-in-law uh, who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, who was an operatic tenor. Uh, his daughter is a professor of music at uh, a university in Alaska. Um, so we have, in, in that part of the family, a lot of musical background. I'm the only one in my family who was uh, particularly interested in music. I at one time thought I might go into musicology, but then I thought, no, I don't think so. Uh, my family... Uh, going back uh, several generations, we're either engineers or lawyers, so I figured I'd probably better stick in that area. I actually record a radio show at Zoomer Radio, Don, where Classical 96.3 is just down the hall from us. And so every day when I walk through the hallways, there's all this lovely classical music playing. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, we'll say hello to Moses. I will. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> Do you have a favorite composer or piece of music that's sort of your go-to, you're never tired of hearing again and again? Uh, probably Beethoven. I will go to, to his later symphonies, his piano concerti, uh, the violin concerto. Um, I'm not that keen on Beethoven uh, opera. It's too heavy. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, for opera, I would rather go to Mo Mozart or Rossini. Um, but and some of the some of Brahms I particularly like. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm quite Catholic in my tastes in that uh, if it was written before 1900 or so, I like it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, but do you also like Scott Joplin and the Gershwins, which uh, came? Oh yeah. Later. Well, uh, yeah. Then uh, getting into the twentieth century, uh, Scott Joplin, the the Gershwins, uh, uh, the Beatles um, are all favorites of mine. And there used to be a group in uh, Canada called Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. uh, who were a jazz band, um, but they had a very eclectic mixture of uh, violin and cello and all sorts of interesting instruments. The violinist, or viol violinist as he called himself, because he, he played a five-string violin. It was a special uh, our viola that he had a fifth string put on so that he could get up into the violin range, uh, was a good friend of mine. And uh, so I, I, I used to listen to them quite a bit. And, and several of other bands of that ilk, Blood, Sweat and Tears, for example, or Emerson, Lake and Palmer, uh, who are classicists who play jazz. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here because we have your brain with us right now. And I'm going to ask you if you have any, if you have any advice and we touched on it at the beginning, perhaps any advice for younger generations as as they're starting out, as they're maybe graduating from high school. Absolutely. Um, I've got advice for them and advice for their parents and grandparents and so on. Uh, First of all, if they're at all interested in any of the sciences, uh, medicine, engineering, uh, (laughs) forestry, whatever, uh, be sure that you concentrate and and do, do well, excel, if you will, in your mathematics and science courses chemistry, physics, uh, any of the math courses that they do, uh, try to get uh, along as well as you can. Pay, uh, pay attention to uh, a good English course because you do have to know English and, uh, and you have to be able to write very well. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, just, just be diligent about it. Uh, don't overwork, but uh, do pay, do pay attention. And if the if the teacher makes a mistake in teaching physics, as my teacher did in high school, correct them. <laughs> the parents should uh, encourage their children to do that, but they must encourage them also to get into collegial activities, team sports, and so on. Um, get involved. Don't don't be loners. As far as the rest of it is concerned. Uh, I think that whenever a new child is born, the parents and or grandparents should establish an RESP for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when the child finishes grade 12, um, there should be a fairly good accumulation of money, which will not put them through university, but it will certainly be a huge assist in putting them through university. Uh, my wife and I did that for all four grandchildren, and uh, not that, notwithstanding that their parents were doing very, very well indeed, we assisted to quite an extent, uh, if for no other reason than to exhaust the RESPs before they disappeared, given that the Government of Canada uh, provides an, an additional 20% to each RESP. Uh, you may as well use their money as well. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have, I have four grown children and two tiny grandsons, and we have done the same thing as soon as uh, the, the little ones were born as well. Great advice. Yeah, and, and I think encouraging them uh, to, to do what, whatever it is they want to do. Uh, uh, two of my grandchildren are, have degrees in, in business, one has a degree in nursing and the other has degrees in physics and in, and mathematics and teaching. Yep. S- smart That's family. <laughs> very important to encourage them to do something that they like and enjoy because they will stick with it. And it's um, also one other thing I would like to add to Don's remarks is that from the beginning, encourage and share things with each child, grand, whether it's your own or a grandchild. Expose them to a lot of different things. And uh, I found that when we took our kids out and shared them with things with them, maybe at a concert somewhere outdoors or a sports event or something associated with history, nature, 
it, those were learning times and it really helped to develop their personalities and their interests. I'm sure it did. And, and, uh, it reflects uh, our own thinking as well, very much so. Let me go back one little step, though. If they can't get into university, at least get into s- some kind of post-secondary education, be it a community college or whatever. Well, and you can't also disclaim the traits. My one grandson is very interested in doing that, got an apprenticeship and is now a certified electrician and enjoys every single day going to work and and doing so very well with the company that he's with. And we certainly do need good, experienced people in the trades these days. So that's another area that we just can't disclaim and it's... uh, also helps. Well, I, I would agree completely. The, the employment field uh, is expanding. Uh, we're, we're, we're bringing in more and more uh, immigrants. Uh, yes. We're graduating more and more people out of uh, high school. Uh, there's a, a lot more construction is going on. There's a whole lot of requirements for trained people in the trades, carpentry, bricklaying, God knows what. Um, So you don't have to be a doctor or an engineer, but you you must have a job that you can be proud of. Definitely. And I love where this conversation has started, and I love where it's going as we talk about the future of our kids and grandkids. And we started, of course, with looking at your extraordinary life and career, Don. I want to <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much for coming on this show um, today. I want to thank Annabelle as well, who's there with you, and Evelyn for helping to put this together. Evelyn, what do you think? We're, we're, we've done it. The first show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> surprisingly, and I think. Thank you. Don was an excellent choice for the first uh, interviews that we did today. And uh, I learned quite a lot of interesting things, uh, something that I wish I had known about when I was in school uh, back then. But I do enjoy it and love the field I went into. So uh, that's important. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for everyone for listening today. On behalf of my co-host, Evelyn Brindle, I thank you for giving us a chance to bring you these stories of elder wisdom. We'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so, but we'd also love to hear your words of wisdom on social media. Please do using the hashtag Elder Wisdom, which will also help others to find us on this green bench. We do love a review and a rating on the podcast. You can easily find it by going to elderwisdom.ca and following the link. Take a look at the Elder Wisdom Pledge Against Ageism while you're there, and please think about signing it. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and along with Evelyn Brindle, we look forward to sharing some more Elder Wisdom with you on the next episode of Stories from the Green Bench. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.